Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Pudang damang sanghang namasami So the <coughs> Illness in the, is always looking into our own hearts and minds, our sincerity, our sense of willingness, and you know to to practice. Look at where we're hanging on, or where we're blocking, or where we're flustering or blustering. You always kind of find these times, these places, these little events, micro-events, occasions, being with people, planning things, whatever, you know, where something in you either kind of tightens up, or starts running, spinning, pushing, you know, jumping ahead, or backing away, trying to hope it will go away, kind of keep my head down or building up a kind of a, a wall you know protection of some kind and we stiffen up in our hearts you know or so some kind of obsessive drive where you just kind of forget everything just blitz away on one particular thing and it pushes everything else out it's like you know sometimes you know TV books reading you know, doing things, you know, it's just kind of something that actually does dive into a whole kind of flow of, of activities or input. And we don't have to, you know, we kind of t- tunnel vision on something. You know, so these are the kind of things that we tend to do. Uh, divert, block, skip, run, hide. These kinds of little pieces that happen for us when we find ourselves confronted or offended or you know, suffering, essentially, dukkha. Mm-hmm. This isn't so. This is a this kind of you know experiences, however, however, you know that triggered off by us for different things. You know, things that trigger off in me maybe not, doesn't trigger off in you. Yeah. That isn't quite the point, you know. It's to actually understand this common experience that we have. This is the way it seems to me. Mm. The Buddha taught. He said this this called a handful of leaves. It's a dukkha, and then the sense of it rising up. You're not always in that, but it's kind of rising up into that suddenly. We're in that territory again, flaring up. And so actually, it's not... How does that happen? What's the kind of (laughs) dynamics in that? What's the kind of rushing up in that? Or the sinking down, or the defending, or dismissing in that? Why can't we allow things to pass through? What is it? 
too difficult, too painful, too overwhelming. Mm. Something we can't connect to, you know, we just get bored and oh, get me out of this. You know, these, you know, just to stay with the flow of experience is, is in a kind of non-conflicting, non-snagging way is really quite difficult. Funny, isn't it? So, so, so you can, you know, the cessation through the some ability to relinquish, to let go, to you know, to find the place where the systems can be put aside. It isn't just a, you know, shut up and obey, or forget about it, or it doesn't really matter. These are kind of really superficial ways of understanding. Letting go, you know. It's it's actually much deeper than that. It's not towards dismissing anything. It requires a path. It's very integrated. The aim of the path is an integrated approach. So the Buddha wasn't just a meditation teacher and he taught obviously taught meditation a lot but you look in the suttas not a lot you know meditation technique not much really anapanasati four foundations of mindfulness you know a lot of it he's talking a lot about things like friendship generosity um contemplating impermanence, contemplating change, um, developing honesty, you know, a lot of just building up a kind of resource of of uh, paramita, of transcendent strengthening the heart through a range of ways. Because of course, most of our dukkha doesn't just reserve itself to meditation periods. <laughs> you know, in fact, that's one of the one of the nicer things in meditation, after a while, it can get pretty nice. But then, you know, we get irritated by the, you know, when we come out of meditation, or we find ourselves uh, flooded or overwhelmed when we come out of meditation. You know, and there's things you can't actually resolve in meditation just through meditation. You know, so the Buddha did teach vinya, for example. He said dhamma taught dhamma vinya. Didn't teach dhamma, taught dhamma vinya. You know, vinya is really kind of like an, the whole, you know, comes out of the eightfold path. But both of these terms mean a, quite an integrated approach, thought, speech, action, livelihood, intentionality. You know, all these things have a part to play in, um, in release. You know. Maybe the key right view and right intention, right view, understanding, sense of uh, cause and effect. Also that right view talks about different kinds of birth, you know. 
you recognize, hey, there's a whole range of different beings here, you know, carrying different amounts of karma. So nothing that I see is going to be seen by everybody else. They're all different, you know. This is quite... I mean, it's simple to understand conceptually. (laughs) It's emotionally quite shocking. (laughs) You know. What's he going on about? (laughs) Don't get what she's saying. I don't understand her at all, you know. (laughs) So, oh wow, you know, but that tends to mean if you really get that, it puts your own kind of volition, your own push on hold because you can't assume in a a shared environment anything you think or say or take for granted is, is seen that way by anybody else. Not because they're stupid or difficult, it's just they're coming from a different place, you know. So this really means you set up your right intention. You know, right intention is refraining from violence, which is, you know, strong word. Avihingsa means a sense of, you know, getting angry, getting this hardness, this, you know, frustration, poof. Uh, dismissiveness, cruelty, you know, putting, you know, actually, uh, you know, abusing people and um, developing a sense of non-grasping sense sense contact, sight, sounds, touches, you know. So these these are kind of fundamental. Then, of course, in the the Vinaya, which is very detailed, expositions that the Buddha gradually evolved it's really based on these same principles because even as he himself found though he taught the Dhamma and the people who had earnestly gone forth to realize his Dhamma still found themselves going down the wrong track you know and then it's kind of difficulties and snagging and territories and you know, things like that going on. Uh, so you kind of really recognizing when does my when does my intention leave that place? You know, when does my sense of where I'm coming from leave that place when I get frightened, you know, then I get bristly. When I feel frustrated, you know, when I feel not listened to, you know, when I feel misunderstood, and I start to get kind of niggly, you know, those kinds of senses, those are very possible for all of us, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know? And then that very places we kind of, you know, sense of what can I where can I come from at this particular plate, time? You know, so a sense of I can take care of my own intentions instead of being involved in the reactions. You know, can I just cultivate at the place where I hear, see, taste, touch, think? You know, 
where I meet the world, can I take care of my intentions there? You know, what happens, how they get, you know, into, oh, I want one of those, or, you know, I'm annoyed by other people. And, you know, so, so the, you know, the Buddha still reckon and, and witness the fact that even then, it still doesn't necessarily work on a global level, you might say. You know, his, his sangha was in strife a lot of the time. You know, there was schisms, fears of schisms, people squabbling, his cousin trying to kill him seven times. You know, <laughs> Buddha, his own cousin tries to kill him, get people to kill him seven, you know. And then he had to his his family is he had to try to stop his his uh, native republic being uh, put to the sword. He couldn't stop it. So he had to see all his his, ta- his township, his kindred, all slaughtered. Couldn't stop it. You know, so you know, it's not as if we can always get the events in the outside world to really change, you know. And yet you'd say over, if you look at it in a very long span of time, then the Buddha's influence has been enormously beneficial on a global level. And yet still, it's only where people interested take responsibility, pick it up, and it works. You know, when you look at the so-called Buddhist countries, you know, in the world, the ones that are left, you know, Cambodia, that blew up, Tibet, that went down, Sri Lanka, civil war, you know, Laos blew up, Burma, military re- regime, Buddhist country, what's a, you know, a, what is a, such a thing as a Buddhist country? <laughs> there isn't a Buddhist country. <laughs> you know, it's as much as everybody practices the Dhamma Vinaya, that's it. You know, that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? And it's uh, integrated, it's how we live. It's always something I find um, one of the, the, the Buddha images themselves are really just very beautiful teachers. Teachings in their own ways, a very simple statement made in the Buddha image. You know, it's almost like a very simple teaching. You know, if you notice, Buddhas are always very present, absolutely upright, you know, they're not stiff, they've got a sense of openness about them, they're not, you know, the chest is open, the front of the body is quite open. Um, you know, and, uh, and there's a gentleness in the hands are relaxed and not holding on to anything face looks bright and the eyes always half open you, know, I think you hardly ever I don't think you've ever seen a Buddha with his eyes closed and he's not looking up 
or down, looking softly. You know, the eyes is a half closed, just because it's kind of like a sense of not staring, but actually the eyes are looking straight ahead. Yeah, it's very different. It's interesting. She's looking like um, you know, even Christian images are always looking up at heaven. Saints always kind of up there. You know, ray of light comes down and looking up. Yeah, salvation up there. You know, or if you're in you know Hindu saints in some ecstasies and kind of oh, up there. Wow, what's it? You can understand why, because up there it's probably quite nice. <laughs> you know, up, up. So when you, as you meditate, you know, you can kind of go up or go into kind of fairly high states. You know, it's silence, sound of silence, it's up there. You know, wow, no bother. You've got to come to this again, you know. Good. <laughs> but, you know, the Buddha doesn't go up. It's not that he couldn't do it. Yeah. he'd been as far up as you could go but he's, he's, he actually is, the image is no don't go up, don't go down don't close in don't stare out just be here, open kind of soft you know, receiving what's coming mm. Another lovely image, and images are useful because they kind of you can take a picture and you can meditate on it, think about it, get the feeling for it. So some of the Buddha's teachings were in kind of legends and fables and images, more in that way of presenting it. And one of them, of course, is the famous image of the Buddha's enlightenment, where he's sitting under the tree. And all this kind of crazy demon, Mara, uh, comes and gives him a hard time. You've got a whole host of demon host shooting arrows at him. And uh, it's through the three, Mara's three daughters, craving passion and, and negativity, kind of doing their thing. And the Buddha's really pretty much alone in this place with all this stuff going on and then he then he touches the earth so there's this picture where the hand right hand comes down touches the earth and then he calls the earth to witness is the is the, the, the image is called calling the earth to witness sometimes called repelling Mara but the story which is a brilliant story but a very really lovely one is that he touches the earth is, you know, it's like, almost like, tell me where I am. Because <laughs> there's this incredible vortex of, of uh, demons going on. And the earth, there's this kind of um, mother earth goddess rises up. You know, and, um, and it's, it's the kind of quality of all the virtues developed over... In many many births, you know. so she rises up and, and acknowledges all this, 
But the image is that she, she has long hair, she wrings her hair, and this water comes streaming from her hair like a flood and washes all this host, and they all kind of, all the elephants fall over, and the horses and everything gets washed away. And it's called this kind of this water flushing everything away. And it's almost like this, uh, it's a very, very nice image, you know, it's a picture. Um, it's really different from, from the, the Sutta account, which is the Buddha having these analytical knowledges, which I'm sure is also, you know, true. But, uh, you know, the, the kind of feeling you get for, um, you know, what's like to just be sitting on one spot where this crazy stuff going on I think you could probably relate to that <laughs> you know and then calling the earth to witness like what, what am I where am I you know what, what am I about am I, what, is, what am I supposed to do here you know what am I going on I, say, I can't get this at all and this is ah you know and then you know defending or blaming or feeling frustrated or fighting with yourself uh, and losing it and you know, losing faith and run away and this doesn't work for me and I can't stand this anymore and then panic, you know, or those kind of mechanisms and then just touching in with your virtue. You know, and this sense of not leaving the spot. You don't kind of find a place where it's cooler, but you stay there and uh, this sense of a kind of something like a flooding, you know, something kind of issuing forth, which is a quality of heart, quality of of goodness. It doesn't, it's not hard, but it's it's like dissolves, dissolves the things, dissolves the the craziness, you know. When you feel that sometimes when you kind of come into your own embodied state you know and you can feel that tightening up or flusteredness or loss of ground sensing that and really connecting very simply down to the earth through through the spine through the tail or if you're standing through your feet you know standing where you are and just connecting to that really touching the earth and then from there, feeling your whole body just start to widen and soften. So I find this this gesture useful on a somatic level. No particular energy changes from being uh, tightening up, or rushing around, or trying to spin out somewhere, or jump over the top of it. Just to stay in that place and you know, soften, widen like something become softer, dissolving, or dissolving, not trying to fix anything or or understand it or change anything. So you know, it's finding this these places or these occasions when we can touch the earth. The only bit of earth we've got, really. Mm. We do have that. Mm. 
when you look at the uh, ways in which we lose that touch, and these aren't, you know, these often are done not through uh, bad intention as such. I think one of the ways I, I certainly used to lose that was trying to be good at meditating. You're trying to be good at meditating, trying to make my mind calm down. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? I get really wound up about that. Trying to make all that thoughts go away, stop it happening. Trying to be good at meditating, getting a system, a nice clear system that I can do then we get good at doing it, and then that'll be it, won't it? You know, I get very, very upset with that. <laughs> Is that a wrong intention? But you know, you know, uh, that you kind of get this idea of good meditation. It's coming from, the, from an idea you read in a book, you get it in your head. You haven't actually touched the earth. Uh, we're not here to be, get good at meditation. We're here to stop suffering. You know, if, if you touch that place, then it's like that starts to loosen up, and you, you find that your meditation does sort of clarify. You, know, you get less intense problems, less confused thought patterns, less stuff stirring up because you've basically touched. Touched home base first of all. Yeah, and this is difficult because normally we kind of want to put something else in or do something rather than actually this sense of a kind of an affirmation of a, of a basic ground that we all have. It's there. And most of, well, a lot of our lives are about losing that you know, running out for the experience, for, you know, the sense contact, for the ideology, for the system, for, you know, we we kind of run out for something out there, you know. And they're not bad things. Sort of things like um, good monastery, you know. I don't want to have a bad monastery, but, you know, but actually, that kind of the more that becomes a problem, that more that kind of I approach it from that way, the tighter, the more confused, hypersensitive I get, you know. But it's not about dismissing it either, it's about. To me, it's about finding the, the ground within, finding my own ground within that. So, well, I don't know, but all I can do is trust this because it's the only real bit I've got. The rest of it is good ideas and learnt things and possibilities. The only bit I've got is this little bit of ground. You know? I don't have anything else. 
Uh, is that enough, you know? And you realize, well, maybe it isn't enough. On one level, you know, is it going to solve the financial crisis? I doubt it. You know, because they're not interested in, 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 in this, in truth. But for those who are interested and, and listen, and, you know, then yeah, it does. So it's a kind of, you know, it's always that recognition of, of it's going to work to a certain degree for a certain span, for a certain time, for a certain, you know, group, a certain number of people, percentage-wise. Um, but don't not to lose one's ground through that, not to lose one's touching place, one's sense of there's a release here, there's a place where it doesn't have to bind me. I don't have to get bound up in my own ideologies. Mm. I found this quite difficult, really. Because I can think, and I can know what how should things should be. (laughs) That's certainly how I should be. And they're not bad ideas, but they're not coming from the ground. They're coming from space. You know, coming from my head, coming from my hope, coming from my uh, anxiety, coming from my, you know, please make everything peaceful, space. And really, you know, we have to say this isn't your ground. Certain things we have that are innate, you know, I think I've mentioned this, we have first of all the sense of some kind of faith, which faith is already perhaps a, a word that's confusing, but some sense of it's okay to be here. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, when you look at the opposite extreme, we're not lost, we're not completely in despair, we're not utterly depressed, we've got something that keeps us going, otherwise you wouldn't have made it through a day. Because we don't have to do that, we don't notice it. Yeah, there it is, you know, this innate quality of, of a certain... It's bruised, you know, and it only goes so far, and we get areas that we lose it, and yet we have some kind of place where we feel... Okay, yeah. I could make, I'm okay with myself. I'm to this extent. You touch that, and then the more we stay with that, it's like the more you stay with your ground, then the the wider it's going to grow. It's like the the earth will rise up. That ground will rise up and repel. We also have a sense of uh, a quality called wisdom, banya, we can discern, we can know the differences of things. This is very important. We all have this, we know cold is cold, hot is hot, black is black, white is white. We can sense these things, we know pain, pleasure, 
And then you kind of, did, do you have this quality? And then you're trying to develop that. Say, where is stress? Where is release? Where is actuality? Where is supposition? Where is real authenticity? When am I kind of bluffing and fluffing? You know? <laughs> when am I just kind of coming out with a line? You know? And so you start to sense, you know, develop this because uh, it's not we don't have that, we often don't use it because uh, it's easier sometimes to just, just use, you know, go to the automatic, go to the line, you know, and really not use our discernment mm-hmm. in terms of what's, what kind of karma is skillful. Yeah. what's well, skillful action and if it's skillful it should be something one can stay with and I notice it, you know speak for myself that I have a kind of like a cutting corners thing oh well they do that like so jump you know or automatics which means obviously I don't wish to do anything harmful or improper but I have places where I can notice my mind just sort of blurs and jumps. It doesn't see the detail there. I think it's like it's like something's getting smuggled. <laughs> and generally, it's some little bit of uh, you know, kind of the, the allowable pieces of sense indulgence that you can have in monastic life. You know, kind of reaching for the the sweeties or the jelly babies or the cup of tea or whatever it is. It's a little blur. Yeah, uh, you know. Well, actually, just why does that have to be blurred? Is it wrong? Is it right? What's happening? You know, just don't really know that. Um, because it doesn't, you know, it's, it's a, the sense of really trying to make that 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 clarity. And not a critical, negative clarity, not a blaming clarity, because we just to, to notice, because the you know the sense of of uh, practice is that if we if we awaken, if we're clear, something in us says, oh, "I'm not bothered with that." Or, you know, we don't have to kind of come in heavy. You know, that it rises up. It rises up and says, oh, enough of that. You know, or this is what you do. It rises up through the fear or the agitation. It's obvious. And it's not making any kind of negative statement. This is this, this, these innate qualities, you know, wisdom, faith. And of course, the, 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 uh, the one that we also have that is, is a sense of being able to, to step back you know, get things in perspective, widen. The 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 most precious actually for us is called not you know, we call it non attachment or what and then you know and there's actually gradations of that. Viveka, Viraga, Niroda, Nipita, you know, things are different different depths of it. But we might say very simply you can sum it all up as the ability to unhook you know, we can see something going, something running, something 
interesting, something irritating, something confusing. And we can, just for that, we can unhook our volition from running on it, from fighting with it, from making something out of it, proliferating it, and just say, well, what is it? You know? Let's just get some space around this. We can do this. We do it sometimes. And of course, we develop that innate faculty that we all have. Step back in order to look at a problem or look at a, where's the bit in this? You know, it's the thing that supports real wisdom rather than just opinions which run out very quick. So can, can we kind of, you know, keep that as an activity and also start to explore the space of that, the domain of that. Mm-hmm. The domain of, that, you might say, the, the sense of, uh, uh, you know, that, that our volition, our push, our go for it, our do it thing is something that is always much, it's like a, a current that runs through something much bigger. So we're never really completely, you know, buying into our volition for good or for bad. It doesn't, doesn't mean you stop it, but you never really completely, there's something bigger than that. You're bigger than everything you do, everything you say, everything you fight against, everything you hold on to. You're bigger than that. And that kind of sense. So for the, uh, you know, the, the Buddha, div, you know, being in his place and, you know, cultivating and, and that, that, that kind of this, this opening up, this uh, breadth of dispassion and non-attachment was such, he, and with wisdom he could kind of actually, the wisdom faculty would say, well, um, this is stress, um, let go of it you know this is non-stress go there that really just that very simple wisdom fact you know it's simple but it's it's, it's deep also because uh, you know the the stress of wanting to get somewhere wanting to be something wanting to find something wanting to get away from something you know these very reflex energies in us you know where we need that support of concentration. What we do in meditation, why meditation is so important, is a chance to really, you know, I don't even like using the word concentration very much because it's such a tightener, but a sense of deepening and firming, you know. So we deepen, we come through the froth in the top of the mind, if you might say, the, the bubbles, we come down to the basic currents underneath that, and we deepen and stabilize, you know, and widen in that. You know. and so you're coming underneath the topics into the more fundamental patterning. Uh, you know, because then you see it's rather like uh, with uh, that quality of of concentration, or that, that in-depth firmness. It's like, you know, you come to the roots 
So to use an example, you know, we might, you know, see our, our, our world as so many bits and pieces of this, that and the other. It's like the leaves on the tree. And you can try and sort that one out, pick that leaf off, and you can try and pick that leaf off and get rid of that little irritating thing and external problem, sort that out, internal problem, sort that out, you know. And you could pluck every leaf off the tree and you'd be very busy. Or you could just go to the root and say, well, let's just cut it there. The whole thing falls down. That's the point of, <laughs> of concentration, is to actually, you know, get down to these, these root things. And because, so then it's actually, you know, there is a, why is it relevant, integrated part of the path? Because if we can do that, then... Um, these these confused energies don't have to start keep running. You don't have to pick it all up again. So in our practice here, it's 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 we have. Meditation, concentration times, calming times, and sense of community and being with other people, the differences and the you know interests and excitements and bonding and irritations and so forth. It kind of tingle at the edge of it. We have a kind of little social group, you might say, a mini society with its. It's like every other society with its kind of, um, you know, sense of trying to hold things together, management, you know, and then future and past and all that. Right? Yeah. We look at how, when we, while we, as we, you know, and you always kind of come out into that and feel how it affects, and then trying to find your ground within that, or at least come back into meditation. So you can start to look at the results, the residues, what's happening, where's it touching you, where's your ground, don't lose your faith in yourself. Remember this is not about being good at meditating, or being perfect nun, perfect monk, perfect community, you know, these kind of things. But but not that those are wrong. But actually, you've got to start from the keeping your ground, and then actually, my experience is the more often one does that, then it does become uh, more livable, more harmonious, more enjoyable, more spacious, more more interesting, even the difficult bits. The Buddha gave a kind of an analogy of, uh, you know, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the, the story of the the acrobat. You know, and actually, I have a picture that Ajahn Kunika gave me a photograph. So these things actually happens, where that this person's got a, holding up a pole on the end of his finger, and the end of the pole is a little baby. Little child, you know, so it's balancing on the end of this bamboo pole. 
And so the, the, the story in the sutta is the acrobat's on on his high wire or, or walking a bamboo pole and he's got this, on the end of his finger or holding in his hand, he's got another pole with a child on top of it. And he's saying, don't worry, I'll look after you. Uh, you know, I'll look after you and we'll come down safely from this from this acrobatic trapeze. And I'll look after you and you look after me. And the baby says, no, you look after yourself and I'll look after myself. <laughs> and then we'll come down. <laughs> Safely, you know, and, it, and so that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, if we all look after our own chittas, and this is this is where that's gonna. And yet, you know, still in that analogy, you see, it's not as if they they forgot, but there's an innate sense that occurs also in humans. About about others, you know, we we automatically tune in, whether we want to or not. We we do something in us does tune in, unless you know you, something's absolutely completely gone malfunctioning. But we do do that. We do resonate. So you don't have to kind of, you know, increase it so much as. Trust it, and don't hinder it. Patterning, group patterning, is inevitable. You know, sense of the the the, the group or the community or the flock, or whatever, is inevitable. If we all find our own true, then it takes the shape of everybody's truth. You know, it's a kind of takes that shape it's not you know it's not the shape that we imagine it would be um, any more than meditation is how we imagine it would be or or anything is the way we imagine it would be but yet it's a place where you know the Dhamma can be realized and it's based upon this uh, understanding the truths, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, uh, and being able to fundamentally keep stay with that practice in whatever we do. Yeah, and Buddha did recommend you know, many vinya rules, many structures to support that. Mm. Contentment with contentment, not getting too uh, demanding, uh, simple lifestyle. You know, these are the things that certainly make it a lot easier. And so, these are the kind of things that I personally encourage to, to keep it simple, make sure there's always plenty of good resource for meditation. Uh, and then the the things, you know, community life, monastery sort of goes the way it goes, you know. 
But it's that, uh, you know, there's a lot of faith, trust in that. The Buddha, again, in one of his famous statements was the doors of the deathless open, let those who can listen bring forth their faith. Very, very important points there, isn't it? That simple statement. That, you, know, you don't have to push against it, they're open. But you've got to listen, really listen. And in that listening, keep, bring forth your faith, your sense of your own ground. Don't, don't buy anything. Don't lose that on anything. However, you know, good it seems to be. Yeah. And then it's deathless. You know, the, the, the aim of, of certainly what, you know, what what's interested in the release from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. Maybe that's good enough. <laughs> Anyone?